What's up and welcome into the Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson here inside Studio B at the Auctioner Sports Performance Center in Metairie. Hope this Monday finds you well. Good to be home as for the Pelicans are concerned. I guess good to be home for the Saints as well. They had the weekend off after the tough loss to the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday. Now they begin their preparation for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But the Pelicans are back home for an important Three-game homestand after splitting the road trip, lost to Miami on Friday night, but a win over the Charlotte Hornets last night, 119 to 109. Anthony Davis, 37 points or 36 points, 19 rebounds, and he tied a career high with eight assists. So it was nice for the Pelicans to get back on track. They are back to 500 at 12 and 12, and as I mentioned, a very big homestand against the Clippers starting tonight. Then the Dallas Mavericks on Wednesday, and they wrap it up with the Memphis Grizzlies on Friday. All three teams have a winning record, and then that streak of playing teams with a winning record continues on Sunday and Monday as they head back on the road and take on the Detroit Pistons and the Boston Celtics. And, of course, we'll have plenty of coverage on the Pelicans this week and how to look forward to this week with Jim Eikenhofer at Pelicans.com. It's our Monday tradition of having Jim on the Black and Blue Report. I'm sure he's sick of talking to me, but he is gracious enough to join me on this Monday, and we'll get you ready for the game tonight and the week ahead. We'll also talk Saints. Again, now it's a brand-new week. We flush away last week. 10-2 and two Saints will get ready for the 5-7 and seven Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who came off an impressive win yesterday over the Carolina Panthers to improve to 5-7. and seven. Carolina drops to 6-6, six and six, and the Atlanta Falcons lost yesterday. They're pretty much out of it now with a 4-8 and eight record. So the Saints are getting closer and closer to clinching that division as they are four games up with four to go. So I believe a win against the Buccaneers and a Carolina Panthers loss would give the NFC South championship to the New Orleans Saints. That's just one of the things that the Saints are looking to accomplish. Of course, a first round bye would be another thing and also the number one seed, but they didn't get any help yesterday from the Detroit Lions who lost to the Los Angeles Rams at home. So the Rams remain at the top of the NFC at 11 and 1, but they now they have that big test on Sunday night football against the Bears and that's pretty much the real shot for the Rams to get another loss as the rest of their schedule is pretty simple with a game couple games I believe against the 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about all that with Mike Triplett of ESPN.com. He covers the Saints of course. We'll kind of put a bow on the Saints versus the Cowboys. We won't get too far in depth with that, but I do want to kind of finish off what the conversation was over the weekend as far as the Saints and the Cowboys are concerned. And then we'll kind of look ahead to the NFC playoff race and kind of what the Saints need to do down the stretch here to obtain that buy and potentially that number one seed. So a very jam-packed Monday show for you here from Metairie. And let's get started. It's the Black and Blue Report, the Monday edition, and it's yours right now. This is the Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Here's Daniel Sellerson. And to kick things off on this Monday, let's talk a little Saints. Joining us now is Mike Triplett, who covers the team for ESPN.com. Mike, hope you had a, a great weekend with no football to worry about as now the Saints gear up for a divisional matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, it's interesting having a weekend this late in the season. Uh, it doesn't seem right. I wonder if that will be good for recharging some uh, batteries for the Saints and knowing that they can just dive in for four more weeks and it's out the regular season for the playoff run. Let's certainly hope so, but I know a lot of people are probably sick of talking about Thursday night's game 
against the Cowboys, but I kind of want to put a bow on it just to get your input on it. Has your opinion, Mike, changed on the team after the Dallas loss, or do you feel like this is just the same team with who played a, a pretty bad game against the Cowboys? Well, I wouldn't say my opinion of them has changed. I think you can have a bad game and, and bounce back from it. And, I mean, shoot, they could win. They could win out from here or, you know, one way or another, I think they'll be a top two seed in the NFC. And I, I think they're a legitimate Super Bowl contender. However, they were starting to convince me for a little while that maybe they were impervious to this bad game. Uh, I thought they might come out a little flat back at Cincinnati or against Philadelphia. And they just steamrolled those teams, and I started wondering, wow, is, is this the best Saints team we've ever seen? Is this better than what they were doing in 2011? And this made them look a little more human and look more like a 13-3 and team than a 16-0 and team. Uh, but they are still among the top contenders in the NFL. And, and, and look, it was the offense that really struggled in this game. Obviously, we give the benefit of the doubt. They've earned the benefit of the doubt, this offense and Drew Brees, that, that we expect them to continue to be a top three or top five offense from here on out. Yeah, Drew Brees kind of was a little bit more human on Thursday against the Cowboys, but of course I think everyone was so quick to maybe take him out of the MVP conversation just because of one slip-up against the Dallas Cowboys, in your opinion. Did, did Did that game on Thursday take him farther away from the MVP conversation, or are we making too big of a deal out of it? Yeah, no, I don't think it. I I actually think he's still the front runner to win MVP this year, but it did open the door for other contenders. I think he was it was face face everyone else before this last week, and now I think it's back to like a Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes tie. I actually think Andrew Luck could have snuck in there, but uh, he just lost the game six zero. So, uh, and and the Rams have like three candidates in, yeah. in Gurley Golf and even Aaron Donald. So, um, I still think. Breeze and Pat Mahomes right now, and you know, so many, uh, so many Saints fans like to think you know the media has never given Drew Brees this award. They must not like Drew Brees. They must not want to give it to him. I think it's the exact opposite. I think, I think if if anywhere close, everyone would be thrilled to give this award to Drew Brees. You know, first of all, because he's having a great season and he deserves it, but also for a lifetime achievement award for a quarterback that is very well respected all across the country. I, I, I think Pat Mahomes is going to have to clearly outshine him to knock Drew Brees out of that award, and maybe it'll take Mahomes winning uh, or you know setting the record for, for TD passes, which is actually possible. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think Drew Brees, I think he's still in the top of the conversation in my opinion, but of course I also do a podcast with the Saints as well. <sighs> with four regular season games to go, Mike, and the team is set at 10-2, and two, three divisional games, one big game against the Steelers. What's the one thing the Saints kind of need to clean up in order to make a run here at the Super Bowl? Well, I hate to pick on the defense after the game we just saw because the defense played way better than the offense in this last game. But like I said, I just I, I have so much faith in the Saints' offensive line and Kamara and Ingram and Breeze that, that I feel like they're going to clean up their act. I, I think, unfortunately, one thing we saw early in the Dallas game was the Cowboys, again, picking on Eli Apple and, and really – you know, picking on guys that weren't Marshawn Lattimore. And we've seen that a few too many times this year. Even the Falcons had success with both Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So I still worry about the Saints matching up against teams that have more than one dangerous receiving target. Um, and I guess we'll see that against Tampa Bay because they have some, some good wide receiver depth, uh, the Buccaneers do, as we obviously saw back in week one. Um, and 
that'll come up again when they face the Steelers later this season with Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster. It'll come up in the playoffs if they face the Rams again. Um, so that, that I think, is the biggest question mark or concern about this team still is uh, how they can match up against deep passing offenses. And then as for the offense, I think this is the first game where we saw their receiver depth become a little bit of an issue. Um, the Cowboys were obviously manhandling Michael Thomas, and we just weren't seeing the other receivers, the undrafted guys. Obviously, Keith Kirkwood made that nice TD catch, but we weren't seeing the other guys get open that much in this game. And that's something that I've been surprised the Saints have been able to overcome all year long. And, you know, they need to prove that was just a fluke. Uh, otherwise, that could be something that, that they'd have to be concerned about going forward. Do you think we see Brandon Marshall at one point this season? I was starting to think we were not going to see Brandon Marshall because Keith Gerkwood has been playing so well, and obviously they have Trayvon Smith and Austin Carr, too. Um, after they had a, a rough day, you know, getting the ball to their receivers, maybe they consider with this 10-day break putting in a package of red zone and third down plays for him and getting him out there on the field and seeing what they've got in him. So I think it's about 50-50 right now. I'm curious to see if he gets involved this week. Let's talk about this NFC playoff picture. It's starting to become, I guess, a little clearer at the top, at least in my opinion, of course, with the Rams and the Saints um, looking like they could get a bye, especially after the Bears lose um, against the Giants yesterday. They ha now have four losses. But besides the Rams and the Bears, you have this pile up um, with some of these teams at three through six. Is there a third team in your eyes that stands out that could be a little bit of a problem come playoff time? Well, I think the Dallas Cowboys, you know, they could end yeah. up being the number three seed uh, now after the Bears open the window, which is amazing. When, when we were talking about their struggles just a few weeks ago, they're, they're scorching hot right now. They were hot before they did what they did against the Saints. And I don't think the Bears are going to go away. Um, so I think even one of those teams would be a dangerous second-round opponent for the Saints. Um, and then obviously if, if we see a team like the Minnesota Vikings get hot, uh, if we see the Panthers start to bounce back and, and win a first-round playoff game. I mean, that, that's the one thing about getting a first-round bias. Whoever you play in that second round just had a really big win the week before and comes in pretty dangerous. <laughs> speaking of the Carolina Panthers, you're absolutely right about that. But speaking of the Carolina Panthers, I mean, they've lost now, I think, four in a row. Um, they're now 6-6. Six and six. But how about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Saints' next opponent, at 5-7? and seven. Hard to believe, Mike, that if the Redskins lose tonight to the Eagles – they could be one game back of a playoff spot. I don't think we were going to say that just a few weeks back here. No, that's true. I, I, I would not have considered them in playoff contention. And it's amazing that, uh, you know, so much change for the Saints and Buccaneers since week one. But here we are again, and they're finally coming in their rematch. And Tampa Bay's the team coming in hot, and, and the Saints are the team coming in cold. Um it feels like the Saints have a lot of demons to exercise, both from their Dallas loss and from their week one loss to Tampa Bay. So so you feel like you're going to get the best version of the Saints. But the the Buccaneers remain a dangerous team, especially on offense, especially their passing offense. I was about to say, when it, regarding to Tampa Bay, I know you might have had a chance to see them play against Carolina yesterday. But since uh, Jameis Winston, they've been filtering him back and forth with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But what have you seen from the Bucks that has impressed you as far as how they've played recently? Yeah, I mean, all year long, no matter who the quarterback has been, it's, it's their passing offense that, that has really kept them uh, the most competitive. Um, they've, they've got a number of receivers that can cause problems, and all of a sudden now it's Adam Humphreys, a guy who wasn't actually a big part of their offense early in the year and coming out of the slot. Uh, 
to go along with with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I don't know if Deshaun Jackson's going to play this week or not. Um, you know, and they they tried to improve their defensive front. They invested a lot in edge rushers. Uh, it hasn't gone as well as they hoped, but they still have a lot of talent, veteran talent uh, assembled across their defensive line uh, that will at least put the Saints offensive line to the test. All right, should be a good matchup between the Bucks and the Saints always is when it's a divisional matchup. And, of course, you can uh, make sure to catch Mike Triplett on ESPN and ESPN.com for all the coverage leading up to that game. Mike, I appreciate the time and enjoy the little bit of rest, and here we go. Last four yeah. games of the regular season. Exactly. No excuses now not to give it, give it our all. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, for the time. And now it's time to talk basketball here on the Black and Blue Report. Of course, it's Monday, which means Jim Eikenhofer from Pelicans.com joins me. And, uh, Jim, I'm sure you're probably sick of me because of all the stuff we've been doing on the road and here at home, but it's nice to have you on on this Monday, my friend. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, I probably am more sick of you than your even your wife is, considering how much you've been on the road lately and not home. So, But, uh, but um. You know, it's it's all right. I, I can deal with it. Yeah, I see you more than my wife. So, yes, I, I think that is a true statement right there. That's very unfortunate. I know. <laughs> Jim, let's talk, about, <laughs> let's talk about yesterday's win over the Charlotte Hornets or kind of the road trip in general. I kind of Friday left a bad taste in your mouth just for how much you got down against the Miami Heat, down 31 in the, second, in the first half, in the second quarter, I should say. Um, but then you bounce back and you beat a Charlotte team that was playing pretty good basketball. I guess how important was that win, at least to salvage the road trip and come home one and one? Yeah, it seemed very uh, almost cathartic or therapeutic to get that win. It seemed like there was obviously a lot of bad feelings about what happened Friday. Um, being down by 31 points in the first half is just something that you don't see very often. So as bad as the Pelicans have had first quarters lately, I mean, I think that one was probably the low point as far as they were down 20 at the end of the first quarter, and then it got worse from there prior to halftime. So the way that they played against Charlotte, just the combination of getting a road win, and you know, I know they all count the same in the standings, but to me it's always good to get a convincing win where you don't have to play your main guys in the last few minutes of the game. You can get a little rest and you don't have to sweat it out. So for a lot of reasons, I thought that was a really good step for the Pelicans last night in North Carolina. Of course, everyone wanted to see how the Pelicans would start in the first quarter because slow starts have plagued them not only on the road but also a little bit at home as we saw in the Boston Celtics game when they lost them last week. But did you feel like things changed a little bit yesterday in the first quarter? Even though they lost the first quarter by one point, I felt like things were a little different yesterday, don't you think? Yeah, Anthony Davis, I think, definitely set the tone. He had 17 points in the first quarter. And even though, like you said, the Hornets by the end of the first quarter were up by a point, um, it, it just seemed like things were going a lot better compared to a lot of the recent games. So that was definitely a good step. It was it was funny because after the game, I didn't even remember until I looked at the box score that the Hornets were up. It just seemed like New Orleans was playing really well right off the bat. I think the Hornets by far played their best quarter in the first quarter, offensively especially. So that was one of the reasons why things were so tight early on. But it just seemed like after that, New Orleans really took control, and I didn't think ever really let it go from the second quarter on. Jim, if you look at the bench production from both sides yesterday, you would think that the Pelicans didn't have a good day as they were outscored, I think, by almost 30, but that's also because the Hornets relied on their bench a little bit more yesterday, especially with Kemba Walker going out 
and Marvin Williams also going out and him not returning. But as far as the Pelicans bench scoring 38 points, how important was it for them, especially with Etwan out and, of course, Alfred out, that a couple of guys stepped up, including Miller and Solomon Hill? Yeah, I think when when you do have guys out and it's kind of a domino effect as far as you push some of the reserves into the starting lineup and then you push some of the guys who maybe wouldn't have played as much into the rotation, you do have concerns sometimes that the production is going to drop off a lot. But that was uh, that was a, another thing that was really positive from last night. I thought Darius looked really good with his jumper, scoring 13 points. Julius, by, actually by his standards, was a little bit below par as far as his scoring. He had 13 points and nine rebounds. But um, Solo, I think, has been – Solomon Hill the last couple games has been really good as far as his hustle. And he had six points last night, made a three. I know he's off to a pretty poor start from three-point range, but he made a lot of good contributions. Ian Clark only played 10 minutes. He did some good stuff, um, had a few assists. So it it was definitely a good uh, performance by that group in general and something that they need to carry over to this homestand, which I think you know a lot of times the the backup players and the guys deeper in the rotation do play better at home than they do on the road. So it was nice to see them come through the way they, they did in Charlotte. I'm glad he brought up the homestand, and we'll talk about the homestand in general, but I want to talk about this next stretch for New Orleans. Yesterday started a seven-game stretch of playing against teams that have a 500 or better record. So far, you're 1-0, but this week at home, we have the Clippers, you have the Mavericks, and you have the Memphis Grizzlies, and then you go on the road for two games against the Pistons and the Celtics, both teams playing really, really good ball. So, Jim, this is a very, very tough stretch for New Orleans. It's kind of gut check time for a team that's sitting at a 500 right now at 12 and 12. It is, and I think I'm very interested to see how they do and what happens during this stretch. I mean, in particular during the home stand, to start with that, you're playing against three teams that I think have all exceeded expectations. People thought, people didn't really think any of the Clippers, Mavericks, or Grizzlies were going to make the playoffs, especially, I would say, the Mavericks and Grizzlies, you know, teams that didn't win that many games last year and needed to improve drastically to even give themselves a chance to be in the conversation, but they both have done that. So, and then the Clippers have are tied for the best record in the West. So, to me, for the Pelicans, it's really an opportunity to kind of reestablish yourself and say, you know, we were much better than all three of these teams last season, and then we had a great playoff um, series against Portland, obviously, in round one. And now you expect it to be better than all three of these teams, but they're all ahead of you in the standings. So I think this is a chance to really say, you know, we're we're as good as these teams and maybe even better than them, even though, you know, it's it's only going to be one game and one head-to-head matchup. It's not going to be like the end-all, be-all of, of what happens in the West. But I still do think that it's a great chance, especially with how well you've played at home, to be able to make a little bit of a statement here in early December. Let's talk about tonight's game just from the, the that standpoint as far as maybe tiebreakers are concerned. I know we're only 25 games into the season now, but you can clinch a season series win over the Clippers with a win tonight. You only play them three times, and the next one will be in L.A. With how the Pelicans fared in tiebreakers last year, they lost a three-way tiebreaker to get that sixth seed over the Thunder in the Jazz. Am I overhyping the factor, the I guess the importance of this game just from that standpoint, is it too early to think about that stuff? Or is it not I, too early to think about that stuff? I would say slightly. You're slightly overhyping it, in my opinion. But I, but I think it's, it's a valid point. I mean, not just with the tiebreakers, but just with how close the 
standings are right now that, you know, the Clippers are what, like four, I think four games ahead of the Pelicans in the standings. Yeah. So even though they're, they have the best record or tied for the best record in the West. So, um, tiebreakers are definitely important. And we saw, as you mentioned last year, when you get into March and April, you really start to break those down and say like, uh, uh, you know, this isn't going to go necessarily too well because of all of the things that you have against you tiebreaker wise. But, um, I think right now I'm probably in terms of it being December, I'm more focused on just how tight the standings are. And we talked about, I think a week or two ago, how with, with only a slight exception here and there, it's almost like everyone's still back at zero and zero because everyone's kind of on very similar footing. There's nobody that has, you know, like an eight game gap on anyone else. And even if you set aside Phoenix, it's amazing how there's 14 teams in the West that are all, you know, relatively close to each other, 20 plus games into the season. So, um, as far as tonight goes, I, I think it's important just from that standpoint, but also this whole entire homestand just to be able to make up some ground and, and head to head, uh, do some damage as well. Yeah, it's crazy. I think the Pelicans were 13th in the West heading into yesterday's game and move up all the way to the ninth with a chance to get back into the playoff push tonight. So, yes, in a blink of an eye, you could go from 13 to 8, up to 4, and then back down to 9 in the blink of an eye. So it's crazy how the West has shaped up so far a quarter of the way through. Let's talk about this Clippers team a little bit because I feel like they're a little different than the last time we saw them. The Pelicans saw them in game number 4 in which they improved to 4-0 and on the season as they defeated the Clippers. But I feel like the Clippers are playing a lot better basketball, and it starts, I think, with some of their bench guys and Gilgis Alexander, Montrez Harrell having a heck of a start. From afar, what have you seen from the Clippers since we last saw them? You know, it's funny. They, the last time they came into New Orleans, which was a little bit more than a month ago, they started out 2-1. and They had a couple good wins against OKC and Houston. But I think, for the most part, people were still like, you know, that they've gotten off to a decent start, but they're going to probably settle back to the pack a little bit just because they don't have a star that stands out. But, I mean, I've been really impressed with them. The games I've seen them play, they've had a lot of really good wins lately. You know, they beat Memphis the other day in overtime. They won in Portland. Um, I think it was a back-to-back or just a couple days later after they beat uh, Memphis. Um, They had wins earlier this month against Milwaukee and Golden State, two teams that – obviously are either off to really good starts or a team that has won multiple championships recent in this uh, decade. So um, I just, I just like the fact that they seem, the Clippers seem to play so hard and they seem to be really unselfish as far as, you know, if one guy has it going that they have no problem just repeatedly getting him the ball and they have a, a bunch of offensive players that have gotten on rolls during different games, you know, including some of the guys that you mentioned and, Tobias Harris and Lou Williams can go off and have a huge quarter at any moment. So um, they might be the most impressive team in the league so far as far as just, you know, people had modest expectations. They were kind of a 500-ish team last year, and I think people thought that was going to also be the case this year. But for them to be 15-7 and seven and to have some of the wins that they have and just to have so many guys playing well, as well as the depth that you mentioned with Williams and Harrell being a couple of the best reserves in the NBA so far. They, uh, you know, when the schedule came out and you look at this game early December against Clippers, you probably think, you know, it's just another game on the schedule. But I think the Pelicans have a chance to, like I kind of referenced earlier, just make a little statement and say, 
you know, this is this would be a, a really good win to get based on how well the Clippers have been playing. I will have to correct myself. The Pelicans uh, were 3-0 and after they beat the Clippers, so it was game number three and not game number four. But before I let you go then, so give me some keys for tonight. How did the Pelicans start this home staying off with a win against Los Angeles? I think uh, defensively is going to be big just because the Clippers have so many guys that can hurt you. You know, it's not, it's not a team that you can just load up on one or two guys. I mean, not not to say that Charlotte is exactly like that, but it was last night against the Hornets when you held Kemba Walker to the kind of game that you did. It made it a lot easier to be able to pull off that win. But the Clippers aren't like that because they have so many different options. So I think that's going to be big. And I think also if the Pelicans bench can play, you know, anything close to what they did last night against Charlotte, that will be a huge step because the Clippers do have a big advantage against a lot of teams in that part of the game. When they bring their backups into the game, sometimes they don't, it's no drop off at all. And sometimes they even play better because of the guys that they have coming in. You know, Mike Scott is another guy that has done some pretty good things during his career. And um, they just have a lot of different players, 10 or 11 players that can really um, hurt you. That's Jim Eichenhofer from Pelicans.com. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Jim underscore Eichenhofer, and you'll have plenty of stuff for you leading up to tonight's game between the Pelicans and the Clippers. Jim, I appreciate the time, and we'll uh, see you tonight at the Smoothie King Center, my friend. Sounds good. We've had a lot of games lately. I'm, I'm looking forward to this one in particular. Yep, should be a good one, and that will do it for today's Black and Blue Report presented by SeatGeek. Of course, tonight, 7 o'clock, Smoothie King Center, Pelicans at Clippers. You can watch it on Fox Sports New Orleans and also listen on WRNO, excuse me, 99.5. Sean Kelly and John Shazer have the call, and then Sean will be back on Wednesday for his edition of the Black and Blue Report. Big thanks to Jim, and big thanks to Mike Triplett of ESPN.com. Until Wednesday, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Saints and Pelicans fans, the Black and Blue Report.